Brought to you by Dubois Productions. Hello and welcome back to NO and JB Sports Pedigree. We are back to provide insight on a wide variety of sports topics from Major League Baseball to NFL football, NBA hoops to professional soccer and everywhere in between. And folks, we are going to have some fun while we discuss some topics that maybe you haven't thought about in a while or ever. We certainly hope you have fun right along with us. So let's not waste any more time. I am JB. And I am that dude who's ready to get going. Not not Brandon Phillips, y'all. Cincinnati <laughs> Reds, by the way. But I'm that, I'm ready to get going, man. That I'm dude ready. N-O. That dude N-O. Shout out to Brandon Phillips, one of my favorite second basemen of all. Man, who am I yeah, kidding? Arguably the my best favorite sec- defensive second baseman to ever play the game. And a lot of people don't even know about him. That's the craziest part, being that he played for the Cincinnati Reds. Never really had a deep playoff run. Had some playoff appearances, right? But never mm-hmm. really had a deep run. So not yep. a lot of publicity nationwide, I don't believe, not for at Brandon all. Phillips. I don't Thank think you, so Cleveland. at all, man. Thank you, Cleveland, for that one. Thanks, Indians. We appreciate it, man. Yep. So we got a, we got a fun show today. Uh, first segment is a, a favorite of ours and a sometimes controversial one, which, you know, we don't mind that every now and then. We got a rule that would change everything. And it's always a lot of greatness in this segment, y'all, because a rule that would change everything is JB and I coming up with a new rule or a specification, a change of a rule in a given sport that would that would likely change the entire dynamic of that given sport. And we've had a lot of different ones. JB, let me kick this one off, you know, All because right, let's go. Uh, this one, uh, I, as you know, and I think you already know where I'm going with this. I, I've been real passionate about this subject matter during this summer this summer in which you know we've seen uh, a lot of new we'll just say interesting umpiring in the game of baseball (laughs) one aspect of baseball from the catcher's perspective jb has gotten completely out of hand this isn't a subject matter that even calls for (laughs) me to research statistics no quantitative research here i'm just eye testing this one 100 because that's really the end-all be-all of my rule that would change everything today. It's quite simple, JB. The subject matter is pitch framing. It's a mockery of the game of baseball. Disrespectful from the catcher's perspective. It'd be like a running back getting tackled a full sh- yard short of the first down, reaching a ball out across the marker, and being awarded that spot. Don't get it twisted, man. Mm. Gaslight Brigade. I know y'all coming out, Gaslight Brigade. Do refs make mistakes on football spotting and on pitch framing? Of course. It's human nature. But what I'm saying is the guidelines related to pitch framing need to be much more strict. And here's my proposal. It's very simple, JB. If a pitch is not center third and the catcher intentionally moves his glove after receiving a pitch, and not a movement related to a breaking ball, you know, or a slider or a miscatch. We're talking a deliberate movement of any sort deemed by the umpire. It should be a ball. Does this mean that sometimes edge pitches around the corners will be called balls? Yes, that's my point. Stop framing. Stop moving your glove. This rule has to be changed, JB. It's outrageous right now. And if you have any, you know, doubts as to the validity of my subject matter just go watch a baseball game that's all i gotta say man yeah you ain't lying it's uh very comparable to like flopping 
and uh, yeah, soccer absolutely. or basketball, you know, absolutely. where you're, just, you're buying a call is all, all you're doing. You're it's outrageous, man. And, and just so y'all, I will be speaking on this more in this Uh-oh. podcast. There's Uh-oh. a precursor, man. Hey, I, Pitch I, framing. I can has get with that. It is. It used to be something that uh, was here and there. You'd see it. It's like every pitch. I mean, do, you'll have dudes like catch the ball a foot and a half off the plate and try to bring it back. Like, come on, man. Well, uh, I'm going to stick with baseball. Something else that I think is quite ridiculous, and we've actually discussed this. I'm not sure if it was in this segment or not where we discussed it, but we've, okay. we have discussed it as it pertains to the NFL before. What you got, and I'm man? talking about... I'm talking about divisions in baseball. Okay. Divisions don't matter anymore. Really don't. It's terrible. It's antiquated. And uh, if you look at it, this year, in fact, we are they've they've made the schedule the most balanced it's ever been. Meaning you play the least amount of games versus your right. division That's right. counterparts, right? The reason that I feel most importantly that this it's so silly is at the end of the day when we come to the playoffs I want to see the best teams in the playoffs I don't want to see as we saw I'm just going to relate this to the NFL last year a sub 500 team or a 500 team make the playoffs and have a team who is obviously not subjectively but objectively better because their record's better miss the playoffs so we're looking right now at the american league east where the team in fifth place would be in first place in the central division is that facts it is factual right now goodness so now whether or not the season ends up that way who knows but it's looking at the teams and the makeup of the divisions it's it's realistic that that could happen it's probable so you're telling me that you would rather have um Right now, the Minnesota Twins, who are a 500 club in, over the Boston Red Sox, who yeah. they're in fifth place in their division, but they don't pick that they play in the division. And here's the other part of that. I feel like they're playing more games against division opponents, and their Absolutely. division opponents are better. That's so the fact that <laughs> the fact that they have more wins, it even expounds upon the fact that they're a better team. So Absolutely. That's what I'm talking about. Just even the schedules out even more and say, you know what? Uh, the top two teams or the top team gets a bye. The next six teams are in, and we go from there based on record. It's interesting you bring the subject matter up here. It'd be excellent subject matter, by the way. But I used to think this all the time growing up, um, and, and more so in the Andrew Luck Colts era, because a couple of times hmm. I think uh, Tennessee might have a better record than us. Houston and Coach would be a playoff team at nine and seven. I think it happened one time even with Peyton Manning. I brought it up on a podcast way back where, you know, you're playing in a better yeah, division. Yeah. Coach are twelve and four. And the San Diego Chargers, if I'm not mistaken, I think the two thousand eight or two thousand nine playoffs, Coach had to go on the road and play against them. They were eight and eight, uh, four games I, behind the yeah. coach just because they won their division. But the biggest point of it all is when you're in second place at twelve and four. That means you have a team better than you in your division, and that team that's eight and eight is playing weak teams and getting rewarded over you. JB, it's a yes. it's an excellent topic, and I've I've always wondered why it is the way it is in the NFL, and now 
Major League Baseball as well. Sounds it's like antiquated, it has a similar issue. Yep. Make it Man, make it make sense. Make it make sense. You I, know, I've never understood it. And the arguments you know, when you the argument is oh people's argument is always <laughs> oh they won their division like okay what else because of the rivalries like really the rivalries are created by good teams that play against each other and have good battles it's not Absolutely. just because you play in a division with somebody there can be, the Bengals and the Chiefs have a rivalry right now they're not in the same division that's right wake up call. Right. hello all right good point man. Hey, good stuff, Ooh, man. A rule that a will change one. everything. Let's yeah. change those rules, y'all. Um, make it better. And we also, we want to hear what you guys have to say. If you agree, if you disagree, know how you feel. If you think what we said was profound or dumb. We we love the, yeah. re, uh, excuse me, we love the feedback and we'll appreciate we do. it. But we're going to move along in a podcast now to a segment where we, uh, this is our episode where we we, we try to, play with each other's brains a little bit get answers to questions athlete trivia jb and i mm -hmm. go back and forth on a very specific subject matter and we uh ask each other questions to try to get them to figure out who the athlete was or to stump them and my category today that i'm going to ask you questions about is u.s women's national team legends and some of these oh man we talked about okay. this the other day i only got three but we talked about some of them you're going to get at least two okay i hope so <laughs> if they're legends I don't want to embarrass myself here. Um, I will kick it off because I only because I have four, and uh, we're going with the Big Ten theme again here. But we're going two thousands Big Ten running backs. Oh my. How you feel about that one? You feel confident about that one? We'll see. All right, let's kick this off. Uh, first, we've got a 5'10", 225 pounder out of Skokie, Illinois. He was the first round pick. In the NFL draft in 2008, his NFL career, yeah, all right. He ended up uh, having a, a couple of solid seasons. Uh, he did win a Super Bowl. Uh, in his college years, he was a first-team All-American in 2007 and Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year for University of Illinois. Nope. He, he won his Super Bowl with the Pittsburgh Steelers against the Arizona Cardinals. <sighs> Gotta be Rashard Mendenhall. That's the only Richard person I can Mendenhall. think of. Yep, Rashard Mendenhall. Yeah, he was a great running back in college. Excellent, man. Mm -hmm. Run you over, shake you. He kind of had that Adrian Peterson feel a little bit. He did in college. Just didn't, yeah, he did. didn't pan out all the way for him, but he got, hey, he got a ring. Good one, JB. Two-time FIFA Player of the Year. 158 career national team goals and 144 assists. He was like a point guard slash shooting guard. Big part of the U.S. women's national teams, 1991 and 99 World Cup victories. Now 51 years old out of Selma, mm -hmm. Alabama. I didn't know that. That's got to be Mia, right? Mia Ham. Yeah, that's right. One of the greats, y'all. Uh, yeah, that's my mom's maiden name. So we always said we was related somehow. There it is. Mia Ham spelled the same too. All right, uh, back to the gridiron. We have a 6'1", 235-pound guy out of Pomfret, Maryland. Bit of a bigger guy. He was a first-round pick in 2003. Uh, actually had a somewhat really solid, we'll say, NFL career. Just over 6,000 rushing yards. 
55 touchdowns, four and a half yards of carry for his career. Was a first team All Pro in 06 and second team in 05. Uh, Two time Pro Bowler. Mostly known for his time where he was drafted in his first six years with the Kansas City Chiefs. Oh, that's out of Johnson. Penn State. Yes, sir. Hey, shout yes, out sir. to the Indianapolis Colts Super Bowl champion squad. Go look what we did to Larry Johnson in that wild card game go. during the Super Bowl season. <laughs> that was shut him Kansas, down. Kansas City didn't get a first down to like a minute left in the third quarter. Oof. And everybody had Larry Johnson in Kansas City upsetting the Colts. Boy, were they wrong. <laughs> there you go. Some nostalgia down, for y'all. you. Shut him down. All right, man. Part of the 2015 World Cup winning squad, a two-time Olympic gold medal winner, five foot nine, out of Washington State, known for her toughness, kind of stoic expression, and holds the international record with 102 shutouts. A keeper, the oh, greatest okay. that we've had. Yep, Hope Solo. Hope Solo. Oh yeah, she no, was a nothing, dog there's out there. Nothing that compares to Hope Solo in terms of U.S. men's national or women's national team goalies either. No, no way. Yeah, not even close. All right, we got a little guy, 5'9", 206 pound. He was the sixth round pick in 2008. But he was a three-time first-team All-Big Ten performer in 04 and then also... 2006 2007 not much happened for him in his nfl career where he played a little over two years with your indianapolis colts out of the university of michigan oh that has to be mike hart we got mike hart there you go yeah i I wasn't gonna get it at first man i was like (laughs) who is that but then oh he played for the Colts. it's mike hart yeah Mm -hmm. he didn't he didn't have the best nfl career It, it happens Oh, the speed of that game changes, man. And some dudes, mm-hmm. they just can't figure it out. They can't figure it out. You know, Trent Richardson, another one. You can't, he just oh, couldn't wow. figure it out. Wow. And, and the coach gave up a first round pick. Let me stop. Oh, they did for a running back, man. All right, man. My last one, JB, standing at 5'11", taller mm. athlete the 2012 yeah, know it already <laughs> FIFA women's player of the year played from about 03 to 2015 on a national team she holds the record for career goals 184 77 of which were headers she headed in 77 <laughs> that's crazy born in rochester new york and was a florida gator in college chomp chomp now 43 years old i mean dang she, she might have been able to play in this world cup a couple maybe late she probably could <laughs> Abby and what Wombat. is her name? Abby Wambach, Abby man. Wombat. Had the famous goal against Brazil, man, to save our lives. Yes. Back in I 2011. Remember that. remember that game. Wow. Legends. You you said it. They were definitely legends. All right. Last 2000s Big Ten running back. We got another big guy. 6'2", 229 out of Akron, Ohio. First round pick in 09 by the Arizona Cardinals, where he only lasted uh, a little over three years in the NFL. Out of the Ohio State University, this guy was better known by his nickname, even though his real first name is Chris. (laughs) 
can you I got can it? Get the nick can I get the nickname? Well, the nickname is his name. <laughs> That's how you gonna know him. <laughs> uh, first team All Big Ten in 07. Um, I can't. I don't really have any other hints to give you. So, B W would be his initials. Yeah. What do you wear on your head when it's cold outside? What kind of hat? <laughs> oh, Chris Beanie Wells. Beanie Wells. There you go. Oh, man. He slipped my mind. I forgot yeah, that was Chris another Wells, dude man. that was like, what happened? Like, I man, forgot he about was... Beanie Wells, man. Yeah, the NFL was a little bit too much for some of these guys, man, to, to yeah. really hone in and be a player consistently who added to a team's success. You know, you think about you think about that um, the style of football played in the Big Ten, and you almost wonder if some of those guys got I don't know overworked. Maybe they're you know maybe they got beat up so much in college they didn't have nothing left when they got to the pros. I don't know. Yeah, good point. And unfortunately, some of them may have been overrated because of their offensive lines and yeah, they played against faster guys when they got in the NFL training camps and NFL teams. Like there was a little bit more speed. So Mm. Chris Beanie Wells, man, dang, that was a good one. All right, JB, that was your last one. That was it. That was athlete trivia, y'all. Um, and uh, personal segment time next mm-hmm. in the podcast. And I told y'all I was coming back to it. Who I Uh-oh. told y'all. Uh-oh. Um, and we talked about it from the catcher's perspective, but it was inevitable that the other side of a rule that would change everything's pitch framing would be discussed today. JB, you know pitch framing is actually legal. Did you know that? I did. They, the slight movement of your glove to highlight the pitch being in the strike zone. My question is simple. If you need to move the glove to show it was a strike, what does that mean? That's hypothetical, by the way. JB, <laughs> I got one thing to say, man. You ready for this? I got my you popcorn got your, ready right You got here. your popcorn ready? Yeah, I was, I was going <laughs> to ask you that. <laughs> Bring me the robots, man. Bring me the robots. Baseball oh, is the wow. first, <laughs> Baseball is is the first place. Yeah. I'm dying to see the robots. And I know I probably regret certain aspects of robot dumps, but a ball and strike is as cut and dry as my logical personality can accept in this game. Baseball players are supposed to adjust to each and every umpire strike zone. What? Yeah. Zones that vary as the game moves along. Hell, sometimes from batter to batter, pitch to pitch, star player to debutante. Yeah. yeah. Gray area is cool in many parts of life, JP. But not with balls and strikes. Bring me the robots. Bring them, please. That's all I got. Man. It is is part of the frustration because it seems that an inordinate amount of terrible calls go against our team as well. Yes. Because <laughs> for me, yeah. Robots. All right. Bring on the robots. You heard them. The the character well, Sonny, the character Sonny in the movie with Will Smith. Give give me him. <laughs> give me Sonny. <laughs> Sonny it is. All right. Well, we had a, I've got an update of a previous personal segment. Actually, this week the uh, announcement was made official by the Cincinnati Bengals for their inductees this year into their Ring of Honor, and it's Chad Ocho Cinco. Cinco and Boomer Esiason, not Corey Dillon. Now, oh boy. I first want I first want to say that 
I'm not going to argue at all against either of those two. They should yeah, be in no the doubt. I mean, there's no doubt Ocho Cinco, Boomer Esiason are cornerstones of the Bengal franchise. Boomer Esiason, um, you know, getting them to one of their two, one of their three Super Bowl appearances now. Ocho Cinco was, you know, one of the more talented receivers ever to play for them. Absolutely. The bone I got to pick is why? Why only two? Number one. First off, the Bengals waited. We only got a Ring of Honor like a few years ago. Yeah. And there's only like eight dudes in it. Yeah. So when you're going to limit it to getting two in a year, I mean, how long does a guy like Corey Dillon got to wait? So I'm doubling down. There, I mean, let's let's make it to where we can get three, four, five guys in that deserve to get in because there's other guys besides Corey Dillon that need to get in too. How long are they going to have to wait? We're going to have to wait till they're mid-50s on the deathbed, and then we're going to put them in just like Ken Riley getting in the Hall of Fame. So... That's my big um, contention with it at this point. I'm not. I'm. I'm not saying Ocho or Boomer don't deserve it, but guy Corey Dillon certainly does as well. Yeah, two seems like a very light number to add to a ring of honor. Yeah, it's like I you know, mean, especially for a team like you said the... that only has a few players in there overall. Yeah. Come on, man. He's the only good. eight guys that's deserving. Good. Yeah, that's interesting. Yep, man. Corey Dillon, man, Tom, Tom's definitely coming in the near future, I believe, um, given the stature of what he's done for that franchise over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, they just need to, there just needs to be somebody in there in the front office who kind of has their head on straight and, and is not thinking as emotional based off Corey Dillon's exit from the franchise and thinking well, yeah. more about what he did do for the franchise. And really, the it's really is, as simple well, as that. It's it's fans voting and a part of that, you know, and, and oh, he's yeah. I know he's come out and I for, said I forgot about that part of it. Yeah. I mean he, he said when he left, he said some things that, you know, I mean he was a younger dude, he was re- he was done, he was fed up. Yeah. And he since actually apologized and all that. Um for that. It's just if you're only gonna allow two guys in, it's gonna take forever to get not only just him, but there's other guys that certainly deserve it too that should be honored and we just the franchise just waited way too long to start doing this first and foremost. So, but again, I, I I'll go to bat and say Corey should be in the Hall of Fame, not just the Bengals Ring of Honor. If you compare him, look at what he did, and and you know, imagine had he been on another team, what his numbers may have looked like, and maybe the spotlight that he might have gotten uh, playing for a more prominent team. So, you can't hold that against him. Well, my thing is, just to add a little bit more onto it, fans voting. Mm-hmm. If y'all don't appreciate Corey Dillon from his era, what do you appreciate from that era? That's a good point. Bengals fans, yep. what could you what could you possibly appreciate from that era of the Bengals if you don't appreciate Corey Dillon enough to get him in there? Mm-hmm. I mean, for real. Obviously, wins were wins were at a premium. We get that, but was Corey Dillon? He handled things. I I, I kind of liken it as a parallel to my fandom and the early, mid, kind of later 90s Indianapolis Colts. Not very good. Had the random year in 1995 with Jim Harbaugh. AFC Championship game. Kind of a blip. Just came out of nowhere. Nine and seven. But yeah. Marshall Falk. Marshall Falk was on those teams. And I'm actually going to look it up because I don't know if he's in the Colts Ring of Honor. But I think oh, Marshall wow. Falk 
should be in the Colts Ring of Honor from his time there. He was only in Indianapolis oh, for a few years, crossed over with Peyton Manning for one year before he went to St. Louis and did everything he did with Kurt Warner and them guys there, greatest show on turf. But I'm going to check it out to look and see what Marshall Falk is in Ring of Honor-wise with the Indianapolis Colts because we know about his pedigree nationwide and reputation nation nationwide. But regardless of all of that, because reputation in the grand scheme of things, it's going to vary from person to person. It's very subjective. It's about what you do on the field, right? So it should we be. We talk about this, man. Yeah, but we're gonna find be. that. We're gonna find that info moving forward, JB. Let's move along, though. Aio, individual Aio. effort eye openers, where we highlight an athlete who caught our eye in a game, in a match, you know, on the on the soccer pitch, who they it stood out and we'll never forget it. And mine, very recent, six one. 163 pounds, 20 years old, out of Spain. One of the most incredible IEOs to date, and it occurred last week. Recency bias comes into play, JB, as I went <laughs> out of my way to highlight Novak's excellence on center court at Wimbledon oh, during our yeah, last broadcast, sure but boy, oh boy, 2023's Wimbledon final featured Novak versus Carlos Alcaraz. Remember, y'all, Novak hadn't lost here in 10 years, a full decade, and after dominating the first set, it looked to be much of the same. But here came the teenager with a career singles record of 136 and 35, 20 years old, mm. y'all. Number one in the world, making the comeback and beating Novak in five sets. His second Grand Slam title done with grace, elegance, forehand winners, drop shots, long volleys, very aggressive on the baseline and has a lot of power, which is crazy because he only weighs 163 pounds. This is a name, y'all. Yeah, We're going to be hearing about point. for a very long time in the world tennis circuit, Lord willing. You know, and JB, to kind of cap it, they say Carlos Alcaraz is a combination of the big three in terms of speed, wow. consistent play, offensive firepower, defensive prowess, and tenacity. They say he's a combination of Novak, Nadal, and Fed. That's what they say. So, wow. My, my boy Francis, Francis, man, get it, get it together, man. Get it together, Francis. I want to see you win a few because we might be seeing Alcaraz balling mm. out for the next for the next few years. Man, if that's the case, yeah, he might be dominating the sport for a while. Goodness. Well, I'm going to stick to the Corey Dillon train here for my IEO. We're going to go back to 1997 when he was a rookie in a game versus the Titans late in the season. Corey Dillon in that game rushed 39 times for 246 yards and four touchdowns. I mean, stop playing, JB. What? That's still an all-time Bengals rookie record. It was an NFL record until Adrian Peterson came along. You said 39 so, carries? 39 carries. Come on, 39. And that's just... The epitome of what he did as a Bengal for his career. I mean, when you look up, look up the, in the dictionary, in the NFL dictionary, workhorse, and you're going to see a picture of Corey Dillon because that's what he was. He had three goal line touchdown runs and another 31 yarder that he busted out later in the game. So, like, I remember watching him as a rookie and be like, yeah, I mean, this guy's a beast. You know, he's definitely. Glad we drafted him because we had previously drafted Kajana Carter first overall, and uh, that certainly didn't work out. So he's playing well all year, but then this game came along, and it's like, okay, he kind of just announced to the world, 
you know, this is a whole other level. You got, I, you know, it's kind of like you can't stop me no matter how many guys you put in the box. And I'll never forget that game. And you know what? He actually had another game in 2000 where he ran for 278 versus the Broncos. Goodness so gracious, it's not man. like this was a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Oh, come on now. We already knew it wasn't a flash in the pan. Corey Dillon was mm -hmm. that dude, man. Bigger running back, uh, faster than a, a lot mm -hmm. of people gave him credit for on the field. I've seen him separate many times. And, you know, in my football playing days, I'll tell people to this day, that's the type of running back I hated playing against the most. Playing safety, a, a bigger but also mm -hmm. fast running back, you know, who could separate, man. It was tough to tackle. You know, tough to tackle them guys, man. Absolutely. Uh, a little look off to the side real quick. I did look it up while JB was speaking. Oh, oh Marshall okay. Falk and surprisingly and Eric Dickerson, both in the Colts Ring of Honor. Both well, of them I mean, played they, five they definitely years for should the Colts, be. 1994 to 1998 so, for Marshall so there Falk. There you go. There you go, Bengals and Bengals fans. Five years. They played five years for a team. And they're in their ring of honor. Corey played 87, seven. 87 to 91 for um, Dickerson. Eric, I think I said Corey Dickerson, excuse me. Eric Dickerson, 94 to 98 for Marshall Falk, both in the ring of honor. Both excellent players, too. Both Hall of Famers, right? Uh, is, is Eric Dickerson? Yeah, he is. He yeah, is. My definitely. Bad. Hall of yeah. Famers, man. So um, good stuff there, man. Um, mm -hmm. Running backs, running backs, man, and who running backs? They've been in the news a lot recently, man. But um, but they anyways, sure JB, have. <laughs> we'll we'll talk about on, that down down. Yeah, the line. let's JB. Head, head to the next segment. We got a little bit of fact or fiction. It's our other trivia that we have in this this episode. Go ahead and lay out what happens in that segment, man. Well, we're gonna go back and forth, and we're we're gonna have some statements that are either factual or we make them up and uh, try to stump the other person a little bit. You know, it's all in good fun. I think the last go-round of this that we had, we were both 100%. So we're going to try Let's to keep it. the mojo going here. All righty. I'm and, ready. Uh, I'm ready. Many I got, uh, man, I got, I think I got like six today. So all I right. Can, let me kick it off then. Okay. My bad. You go ahead and kick it off. You got a couple. All right. Minutes. I'll kick it off. I got another, um, I got a running back themed one. Since we're, you know, I, I've been running back heavy this show. I'm you know, ready. did Let's you go. know the average salary for NFL running backs in 2023 is 1.81 million compared to 2.26 million for kickers? <laughs> That's not funny, but I feel like it might be lower than that, honestly. But I'll say fact. Yeah, it's a fact. That's what I thought too. It's like I can only laugh at it, really. Like wow. That's yeah, outrageous, man. All right, three nations. Three nations have won the Women's World Cup since its existence, the USA, Brazil, and Japan. Man, I'm totally taking a, I'm totally, I'm gonna say, let's say fact. It's fiction, I left one Dang. out, Norway. Norway, Norway, Norway? Norway. Nor the Norwegians, man, they bought they balls out. Well, they got beat by New Zealand in their first match this no, year, but they used Norway. They got beat by the host country. Wow. They did. Yeah. All right. Wow. Uh, no. Did you know that Corey Dillon is second all time in Bengals rushing yards, hundred yard games, touchdowns in one game, and longest run? No, that's fiction. He's first. It's fiction. He's first in all those categories. Gotta be. That's right. Come on now. All right, JB. James Harden. Really 
requested a trade to one destination, the LA Clippers. Uh, oh, fact. That's a fact, man. <laughs> like, send, who do you send think me you to the Clippers, are? man. Who do you think you are, bro? <laughs> oh, oh man. I don't get it, Lordy. Uh recently Ellie De La Cruz threw the fastest ball ever recorded on the infield in the Statcast era at ninety seven point nine miles an hour. Dang. I thought it was like nine I'm gonna say fiction. I thought it was like ninety five or ninety. Maybe it was ninety. We're gonna say fiction. No, it's fact. 97.9 and then okay. he threw one I, on I knew I knew he was up there I just thought that I thought the miles per hour was off yeah I think it was like the fat like no pitcher in the game threw harder than that for like the yeah. first five innings or yeah 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 crazy. I remember Sadak and him said that Sadak and Larkin said that you're right craziness man excellence on his part man ridiculous what an athlete he is fastest man in the game one of the strongest arms he can do everything JB there are Another Women's World Cup question, by the way. There okay. are eight first-timers deputat nations in the Women's World Cup here in 2023. Eight? I'm going to say fiction. That's fact, man. Dang. I'm going to name them off for you. Haiti, okay. Morocco, Panama, Philippines, Portugal, Ireland, Vietnam, and Zambia. Wow. I think there's a lot of teams, you know, it's because it's newer for a lot of countries. You're going to see, I think we're going to see that. And honestly, Continue. I think they just went up from 24 to 32. I believe they, I think just, you're right. they just moved up. So, obviously, that helps. Inno, uh, did you know the longest home run hit in recorded history is by none other than Babe Ruth at a whopping 560 feet? We're going to say fiction. Fiction. You know me. You know me well enough to give <laughs> Babe Ruth credit for anything. It's actually yeah. by Josh Gibson. 580 foot home run by Good. Josh Gibson. There you go. All right, man. My last one. Dan Snyder, Washington Commanders, was forced to sell the team for $6.05 billion. That's that's fact. And I've heard that 05 part is to cover the fine he's got to pay because it's got to pay like a $60 million fine or some, something. Oh lordy. Yes, sir. All right. I got I got two more. One's Reds related here. Um, your boy Graham Ashcraft, I'll say his name correctly now, now has four straight starts of at least six innings pitched and one run allowed. I think it's three. I'm gonna say fiction. I think it's three. No, it's four. Oh man, got me. He's balling. All right, last yeah. one, just for just for fun. All right. Tyrese Maxey is the 258th highest paid player in the NBA at $4.34 million. <laughs> Man, totally he didn't random. get his contract yet. I mean, we're going to say fact. Yeah, that's fact. <laughs> it's coming. For, it's got to be coming. Contract, like, yeah. come on. Especially if Harden gets out of there. He might, he might be sitting there waiting for Harden to leave. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Give me my money. Uh huh. All right. We are to that. We are to that point. We are to that point in the show where we had a, you know, we alternate every other week. This week we've got no nos. No nos. Yes, sir. 
those of you who are not aware, I'm going to ask Inno a personal question, something kind of uh, unrelated to sports this week, actually. And then we are going to go back yet again to Coach's Corner um, with Inno and Coach Inno, and we're going to get some get some insight from him. So first and foremost, this came out of out of nowhere, just curiosity. You know, do you actually have a uh, a dream vehicle or a dream automobile or car that, you know, if you could get any vehicle you would get? Actually, I do plan on getting a certain vehicle one day. Uh-oh. What we got? I always wanted a BMW. Now, hey, nice. the specifics of which one, I'm easy to please. So when it oh, says okay. BMW on it for me, I like it. However, you know, obviously if I went into the dealership and I looked at I'd find a specific one that I like and I'd test drive it and you know, and I'm talking about a car, not an issue. I'm talking about Okay. That's what I was gonna say. Are you looking for sports sedan? car oh, type right. BMW? You know what I mean? BMW, man. I've always wanted a BMW and I love them. I do I I'm agreement. I think that's kinda next on my list, you know, because I had to uh, yeah, yeah, I think that would be nice. All right, cool. Coach's corner uh, with with Coach No here, and uh, I'm a, I got a, a bit to kind of go through to to lead you into this topic. All so, right. the topic today is coaches creating culture okay. of a program. So, you know, a big part of the culture is going to be obviously the guidelines you create, the boundaries you the boundaries you set to create discipline. For example, you know, Deion Sanders doesn't doesn't want his players wearing slides on campus to, you know, toxic culture at Northwestern, for example, where Pat Fitzgerald made black players cut their hair to fit his, quote, mm. wildcat way. Yeah. So as See a coach, ya. See ya. <laughs> right, as a coach, I guess number one, you know, how important are the rules and stipulations that you set to you and as it pertains to building a team and how much thought you actually put into those guidelines and boundaries that cre you create? And then I guess secondarily, does it also have to be organic and changing or is it something that's very rigid or maybe depends on what the specific guideline is? Okay. There you go. All right. So first things first, when it comes to building a culture, it starts with getting athletes to buy in. Mm. That's what it all starts with. You have to get them to buy in to what your style is, what you stand for. And when it comes to a specific discrete concrete set of visual you know a, a rules and regulation sheet no that's not that important mm. the actual important part of creating a culture comes with preaching by example living by example mm. letting them see that your lifestyle matches what you're trying to teach them in your program it could be anything. It could be um, if you want them to to eat healthier so that they um, are able to build muscle mass, you probably should be a pretty healthy eater. If you want your players to 
go hard in strength and conditioning. You don't necessarily have to be a, a fitness head coach, but, you, but they have to see you working hard in life. And they're gonna see you working hard by the details of practice. They're gonna see you working hard by um, you always being there for them in times of need, the time you put in, when them learning in film sessions from you. There has to mm. be that aspect of it where they see you putting into practice what you're teaching, but also, you know, in game and in practice, I'm very big on demonstrating drills. I'm huge on that. And for me, it's all about uh, the, my athletes, some, the, the learning style that they have may be different from the learning style that everybody's learning style is different. So some of them, sure, they're going to learn sure. from me drawing X's and O's up on the chalkboard, but everybody can learn from coach demonstrating that drill in practice and walking through every specific of why that drill is important. The details of um, the, the footwork part of the drill, the why, the how, the when you use it, answering questions and, and presenting presenting a culture where you want your athletes to answer, ask a lot of questions. And that's a big part of a culture right there, my culture. So, so now speaking broadly, going from speaking broadly to speaking about my culture, I want student athletes who will ask as many questions as come to mind. They're gonna ask a million questions just because they know um, they, they're here to learn and they always have that learning type of mentality. Mm. So a part of your culture as a coach has to be recruiting the type of athletes that you want. You got to know what type of athletes you want. You have to yeah, have a, point. a, yeah. a set guideline of what type of athlete you want, not what type of rules you want to put in place, but what type of athlete do you want? Do you want athletes who are smarter students in the classroom because you know it's going to translate to being smarter on the field? Do you want athletes who, when you ask their high school coach about work ethic, they're going to say they worked hard? Or you may be a coach who just wants the most athletic kids hey, and to each their own. You may be a coach who just wants uh, kids that came from a rough background because you know they're, they'll be more willing and ready to battle. You may be a coach who wants student athletes who come from a more prominent background in terms of uh, monetary. You may want that. But... Everything about your culture has to be deliberate and you have to know what you're going for, like what style of athlete you're going for. Mm -hmm. So you're not one that's just going to be like, oh, they're the most athletic person out there, but they are a terrible person and just cave and have them on your team. That's not what you're going to go for, right? Of course not, man. Recruit, recruit, so I'm guessing we're, I'm not, I'm guessing we're not going to walk into a, your locker room and just see a, a list of rules up on a chalkboard. <laughs> Absolutely not. Player, players will have a rule sheet, of course. They're, you got to do that. Sure. You got to have a rule. I was going to say, I'm but, sure there's some non-negotiables that just go kind of probably common sense. Things. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, uh, but you know, it's going to it's gonna be about how I carry myself. And they'll know my expectations. And I'm going to have some leaders. I'm going to have some leaders who mm -hmm. will, will kind of pass on and project my expectations onto the other players on the team because I've put them in a position to be the vocal leaders on the squad. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not all about, you must do this, the, the 10 commandments of coaching. No, right. we, we, we adhere to the 10 commandments biblically, but ain't no 10 commandments of coaching in my book. Yeah. And you know, I think you're probably 
it, it's it's very similar, I think, in a lot of ways to, um, you know, running a business. You know, it, it, you're you're dealing with people. A lot of people, a lot of folks don't realize that. But you know, in my line of work, um, I lead like a lot of people, and it's the people business. Even though it's a a different industry, you are a leader of people, and you're. As a coach, you're a leader of people, and you That's create right. that culture by how you operate. And every situation, and every kid, every team member, whatever, everyone's different. And you always are going to have situations that come up that you've got to be able to, I think, be organic and and be willing to, you know, take each situation as it comes. Because if you try to be somebody that's just like extremely rigid about everything and uh, got all these rules and if you don't do this and this and that i mean man that's especially yeah. nowadays i feel like that's yeah. just you're just gonna yeah. cause yourself all you're gonna have ulcers <laughs> like, we talked about uh the black yeah. and white nature of calling balls and strikes uh, yeah coaching yeah that's is anything but it's coaching different. is anything exactly but black and exactly. White. exactly it's always great exactly always. good stuff all right well i figured that was gonna be a good one and uh happy to end the show on that this week um we appreciate you. Hope you enjoyed it as well. Continue to tune in and share if you uh, if you feel like you know somebody that might enjoy. Hit us up, uh, no.jb.sportspedigree at gmail.com. And also look for us out there on social media, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, all that stuff. We're out there. Have a great week. Y'all have a good one. Check it. We keep pushing forward when the lights dim. The flame still burns when the night ends. So it's time to get animated promptly. My passion's connotated as anger. Wrongly, since I'm as real as it gets, I won't take that. Might spew a couple of words I won't take back. I'll be the thug who seems to bring charm. Check my skin in the U.S. I'm seen as that regardless. Docile and harmless. Emblematic guinea pigs. Submit to control all the people in the city did. Silly kids only listen to that. Extreme numbers to them. To me, it's how you attack. <laughs> Sometimes I think that I'm great. And I stumble It's better to be lucky than good Keeps you humble I'm hands on in my approach So when I fumble I turn over to the most high Therefore I'll never crumble Tough Gotta get started to get ahead Conduct stoic They know I'm not acting scared I'm the type they feel they have to replace Demonizing the face In my black voice And masculine traits Like it's a problem Don't fear delusional types Mentally locked in But still in tune with the hype Whole models about deception I catch a trend And go the other way You can call it an interception What's popular Tends to reveal what's going down Standing back with a scope watching from across town The guidance from above is what I view as profound So when I see they really care, that's when I'm coming around